All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The way that I prepare for these engagements, I spend a lot of time on my porch swing. You see, after my husband died 12 years ago, he never liked to swing or move when he sat. He always wanted to be still. So if I wanted to swing, he'd be breaking. And his legs were so long, it never worked. So when he passed away, of course, I was very, very sad. And I, I'm still sad about it. But I said, I can buy a swing. And now's my chance. So I put it on the porch. I have a 200-year-old farmhouse. And so right out on the porch, I put this swing. That's where I went for my healing. And every morning when the sun came up, I was on that porch, even in the dead of winter, I'd sit in a sleeping bag and I would, just to be able to tolerate the cold, but I would watch the sunrise. And because everything in my life was changing drastically, Bill and I were married for 40 years. So you get some very strong ingrained habits, good habits, and suddenly everything changed. And I had to find my new normal. I had to find my new way. I had to find who I was apart from being Bill's wife. And for a while, I, I wore the name Widow. I was Bill's widow. And as it turned out now, the, the Lord has worked with me, and he has met with me, and he has healed my grief. And out of the center of that grief became a widow's ministry as an arm of embracing grace Ministries, which is the name of my ministry, Embracing Grace, um, came Lives Overcoming Loss. And that is a monthly widow's meeting that we have every month uh, close to my home. I rent a facility, and now women from all over the place will come, and we have our meetings together. And our focus is going forward. How many of you know that the let's, that is the that is the focus that the Lord wants us to have going forward? And his it seems as if the Holy Spirit always leads me to come look up and out. And how many of you know it is really, a, it's just ingrained in us to look back and in. That, I think, is what's just natural to the flesh, is to look at 
inside, and that's what the world teaches now, you know, you have to look in yourself, and you have to, you know, center into yourself, and it's all about self, but that, how many of you have discovered that that's a dead end? Because our hope is the Lord, not us. And that's the temptation that has been with mankind ever since the two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And of all the blessings that God gave, he said there's one thing he warned us about. And that is, don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil. That was a tree that said, you know, if it looks good, if it tastes good, do it. It's the tree that's independent from God. It's man seeking his own wisdom. It's the inward look. It's the backward look. And Jesus came so that we would be healed of that tendency and eat now only from the tree of, the, of life, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. My journey with trees began, oh, it was about three years ago, and I had these two huge trees in my yard that had to come down. And I'd been putting it off and putting it off because it was going to cost me about $5,000. And I thought, oh, I'll wait a little longer. I'll wait a little longer. And every time the wind would blow, I would pray, Lord, help me with these trees because they were very old and very big. So. I began to lose my peace about these trees. Do you know what I mean about that? I mean, you, you're going along and, and something begins to just sit on you. The thought of it just sits on you. And you begin to maybe worry a little bit about something. And that's one of the ways in which I know the Lord is nudging me to take a real good look at something. And so I thought, I don't feel peaceful about these trees anymore. I better call. Well, my history had been that any time I call this guy, this tree surgeon, you can never get a hold of him. It took forever to get a hold of me. He'd leave message upon message, and he'd get back to you eventually, but then it would take forever. And half the time, you'd have to call multiple times. Well, that day, he answered the phone. And I thought, hmm. This is too easy. I got the feeling that God is leading me, for sure. I felt confirmed. And I told him, I said, I, I really don't feel comfortable about these two big trees in our yard. I'd like you to put me on the schedule. Well, he said, OK, we are swamped, he said. Next thing you know, I look out my window, and there's this man walking around in my yard, and it was him. And I thought, whoa, God must be leading me, because he's here. 
First thing you know, he knocked on the door and he said, um, we got to take this tree down. This is dangerous. And I went out in the yard with him and this is an, an oak tree or a, a maple, I'm not sure which, well over 100 feet tall, looked fine to me. I just wanted him to prune it. And he said, no, when I climbed up about 30 feet up off the ground and looked inside, it's completely hollow. He said, I don't know what's been keeping this tree up. It's completely hollow. I said, but that, it looks strong. It appears strong. He said, but it's hollow. So I said, all right. And what about the other one? He said, that's got to come down. And I trust this man, or else I might have thought he was taking advantage of me. But I'd known him for years, so I trusted his word. And I said, well, what's wrong with this one? I said, I can tell that that one looks like it's dead, but what happened? He says, that's the ash tree. How many of you been here have heard about the problems we're having with the ash trees? Hundreds, if not millions of ash trees are dying all over the country. It started with a little tiny bug the size of a grain of rice called the emerald ash borer. And it came in through, from Asia, came in through the Great Lakes, probably by accident, on some pallet. And it loves ash trees, so it attacked all the ash trees in Michigan and well, I said, my goodness. He said, the problem is it, it, it enters these little ash bores, these tiny little ash bores enter into the little cracks and openings in the bark of the tree and begins to work on the inside of the tree and it, it will um, stop the flow of, of nutrients from the roots to the crown and the tree begins to die from the inside. Something inside of me clicked. And the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to me. And I thought, this is, there's something in this that is very prophetic. God, what is this? And he gave me a scripture. And it is, keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. That's in Proverbs 4. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it, your heart, flows all the issues of life. In other words, what is in the abundance of your heart determines the boundaries and borders of your life. The word issues means boundaries, borders, and deliverances. So I thought, guard your heart with all diligence. These little, tiny, little bugs brought down a hundred-foot tree. What are the ash bores in your life? God has told us that we need to, especially in these days, in these times, in this nation, in the condition of the church, we need to be guarding our hearts 
with all diligence. Guard. What does that mean? Well, it means to tend to, to be concerned about, to watch over. But what does that look like on a Monday, Tuesday level? Well, I've discovered through this whole process with losing my husband, how easy it is to step into the flow of worry and the cares of this world. And I'll sit on my swing and I'm trying to, you know, pray and stuff and instead my mind is going a thousand miles a minute on this problem and what am I going to do about that and what am I going to do this afternoon and what about my son and how much is that those trees coming down going to cost me and where am I all this you know like this or the worst one is when you're sitting there and you're thinking how could God ever use me I'm not gifted. Or you begin to entertain thoughts of self-loathing. If only I was more like so-and-so. If only I was different. What's the matter with me? That's a phrase that comes through my mind a lot. But I've learned to see that's a little ash bore. What's the matter with me? Why am I, why am I like this? Why can't I be different? How come I'm wrestling with depression? How come I'm anxious? And then in your mind, you begin to search for things in the world to make it better. That, that means you're eating from this tree. <laughs> The dark tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that says that you are responsible to fix your own problems, or somebody else is responsible to fix your own problems. And through the study of trees in the Bible, and through the incredible teaching of the being grafted into Christ, I'm able to see now more than ever identify those little ash bores, those little lies and temptations that come across our minds and take them captive. Take hold of them and say, nope, I'm not going there. Because what do those thoughts do? Those thoughts put all your focus where? Back and in. All your focus is on me. But what does the scripture say? Magnify the Lord with me. Not magnify my problems. When we churn and worry about stuff, we're magnifying. We're putting the glass. They get bigger and bigger and bigger on the inside of me. My thoughts, my worries, my concerns, myself, whatever, get bigger the more I think about them. And that's when I've learned that the most powerful thing that we can do is remember what Jesus has done for you and for me. He has set us free from those things. 
And now he says, guard your heart. That's the heart that he has given you. Guard that heart. What is the most important thing in your heart? It's your relationship with Jesus. Guard that relationship with all diligence, for out of it will flow the boundaries, borders, and deliverances of your life. You see, the good news is Jesus came along and he found us and he he found us and he transplanted us and grafted him us into the son of his love he transformed us and this is who we are now we're a child of god joint heirs with jesus seated with him this is where we've been this is the work and this from this position is what how we approach our life who am i joined to who is my god yes i'm a little concerned about this and that but god is jehovah jireh he will provide but god is jehovah sitkinu he is my righteousness but God, he is Jehovah Nisi, my captain and banner. But God, he is my Jehovah Rapha. And I'll tell you, when your mouth begins to out loud is usually the most powerful thing. But when you're being bombarded by ash bores, the best thing you can do is be begin to declare what you know to be true. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Your focus is no longer on in and back. It's now on him. My focus is on him. If you study the stories of the Old Testament, I've been especially studying um, in Joshua about Joshua meeting around an oak tree in Shechem. And I think, Holy Spirit, why did you mention an oak tree? But he gathered the leaders of his nation there before he, he knew it was at the end of his life. And he gathered the leaders of, the, of his nation there at this, at this uh, beautiful sanctuary where there was a big tree. And the first thing that Joshua did was rehearse all the good that God had done. And when you study those, those, that chapter, it's amazing because over and over it says, God led them out and brought them in. He led them out and brought them in. He led me out and brought me in. I once was lost but he brought me in, and now I'm found. I once was a go-go dancer. I, re I really was. I was a go-go dancer. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a home where we ever went to church. I didn't know a thing about it. But I knew as a little girl, I wanted to be one of two things. I either wanted to be a nun or a go-go dancer. <laughs> so I became a Pentecostal. 
now I can dance and, and uh, be spiritual all at the same time. They even use tambourines in the church. And uh, I didn't know who Jesus was. I'd heard about him, and that's why we had Easter, right? But that meant I got new shoes, a new purse, and a new hat. And Aunt Dodie would always send me a dress that made me look as fat as a house, and my mother would make me wear it. <laughs> so Easter never held a lot of fond feelings for me. It seemed like the dresses she sent me were always crinoline upon crinoline upon crinoline upon crinoline. And it was starchy and stiff and pink, which I didn't think was cool at all. And I would just go as soon as I put it on. You look so cute, Tammy. Take a picture. And I hated Easter. Ha. So Sometimes, his, I mean, that's the sum total. And I knew that there was a baby and he had something to do with Christmas. But other than that, I didn't know anything. But as a teenager, when I was struggling tremendously, sometimes I would run away from home. But I was a good girl. And so I never wanted to worry my parents. So I'd always show up before morning and uh, slipped back in bed, so they never knew I was gone. Well, where would I go? The only place that was open in the, middle of the, in the middle of the night was a mile and a half from my house, the Catholic Church. And I would go into the Catholic Church with the in incense and the candles, and I would stand with my back to the altar, and I'd sing to the empty pews. Little did I know I was rehearsing for a music ministry that the Lord would give me. And for 30 years, I recorded and sang and wrote music and, and everything. And that was a wonderful season in my life. And, I, and it was there that I began to have this calling, this wooing, to want to know more. And then I was invited. When, well, first, I married Big Bill. He was so gorgeous. He was so gorgeous. Six foot three, had big blue eyes and long eyelashes like awnings. And he was all leg. <clears throat> and he was a great listener. And he wanted to know all kinds of details. And the success of our marriage, I think, came down to commitment and conversation. So anyway, we got married. And uh, two years later, when I was pregnant, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know how to be a mom. My mom had a multiply handicapped brother. So I watched my mother handling a child that was very disabled. And I was scared to death I wouldn't have the patience. And I'm, I'm going to, I'll ruin them. I know I'm going to ruin my kids. I was so scared. And when Kyle was born, I have two sons. When Kyle was born, my first thought was, what if he doesn't like me? So you get an idea kind of where I was emotionally at the time. Very weak. So I had a friend who was born again 
I wasn't sure what that meant, but she said, I said, how do you, you seem to have it all together. How do you do it? And she said, uh, I get a lot of help from my church. I said, take me. <laughs> they weren't even luring me with food. I just wanted to go. So I showed up. She didn't. And the, <laughs> the only chairs available were way down in the front because I realized that if you're really spiritual, you sit in the back, right? So anyway, the front seats were all empty. So I come down the center aisle. I had high heel, red patent leather shoes and lots of makeup. And because, you know, I wore my best, which was more like what you'd wear in a nightclub. So I come walking down the aisle and I felt like a fish, you know, out of out of water, and I noticed everybody had matching hats and matching purses and matching grins, and I thought, this is weird. <laughs> They're either on something, coming off something, or looking forward to getting going on something, because <laughs> this is like something out of a Norman Rockwell painting. This can't be real. So I had to sit in the front. And this little pastor, he's 83-year-old Damar Bizant. He had been a Greek and Latin teacher in the inner city. And he, he resigned, or he retired, and became a Baptist preacher, 83 years old. And he stands up there with straight as an arrow in his little gray suit. And he, at the end of his service, he says, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you'd like to ask Jesus Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life, raise your hand. I had no idea what that meant, but I figured it's something I'd never tried, and I was kind of desperate. So I raised my hand, and I found out you can't trust Christians <laughs> because nobody had their heads bowed and nobody had their eyes closed. They were all looking at the heathen in the bright red shoes. <laughs> And overnight, I was a celebrity. I mean, I think I was the only saved person in their church in 50 years. So I was, I was like famous immediately. And uh, so it was quite a journey, you know. And uh, so I thought, well, I want to fall in love with this, this God, Jesus. I want to know him. I, I want to know him. So. I figured that you'd fall in love with God in the same way I'd fall in love with Bill, which is spending a lot of time talking to him. So I pushed this $7 garage sale chair up to the window, and I'd sit down every single morning when my kids went to nursery school and kindergarten. And for the next two or three hours, I would sit in that chair and just talk. It never dawned on me how foolish that might have looked, and I'm thankful. Nobody was watching, but still, I talked to him. And one day, he gave me a vision. I didn't know it was called a vision. I didn't know if it was allowed in those days or wasn't allowed. I found out later from my friends that we don't do visions. <laughs> I said, well, gee, I don't know. This was a pretty real one. <laughs> so I decided some things I had to just keep to myself in the Baptist circuit. So anyway, one morning, I'm sitting in my chair. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm at, the, at the top of these earthen steps going down into the ground. 
And at the bottom of the ground, about five steps down, was a turn right to the right. And I started to go down those steps, and I knew the smell of the dirt and the fresh earth. and the, You could smell it. I can smell it when I think about it. And I turned to the corner and peeked around the corner, and it was an open tomb. And there was a seat on one side and a seat on the other side, a bed, like a bench or caved or uh, carved in rock. And there sat Jesus. I couldn't see him, but I could see him. And I, I knew that he was motioning me with his eyes to come on in and sit down. <laughs> that was weird. My heart was like that and I came in and I look I was excited nervous not afraid and I sat down and then he did something I'll never forget and I want you to hear these words he leaned forward he put his face in his big hands and he looked at me and I knew in that and smiled and I knew in that instant he knew everything I'd ever done he knew everything I was doing at that time that would be called sin. And he knew the places of sinning in the future. And this is the line. And yet he stayed. He's the safest person to run to when you've sinned. Because he has the heart cure. But too often, we're influenced by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, we, and what's, what did Adam and Eve do as soon as they, they ate from the tree and they sinned and their eyes were open? Do you remember what was the first thing they did? They hid from God. That's flesh. That's what our tendency is to look in, to look back, and to hide from God. But he stayed, because he's the heart cure. He's the answer. He's the hope. He's the healing. It's him. It's a person. We're called not to a belief. We're not called to a church. We're called person. I've found that joy is a person. You see, us girls, it's a blessing that we have such feelings. But too often I hear women say, I just haven't felt the Lord. I want to ask you, do your feelings determine his existence? Do your feelings determine whether what he has said is true or not? See, that's the thing. We've got to get it in our heads that he took us out and let us in. And now we are grafted in to Christ. 
All right, let me tell you, let me talk to you a little bit about grafting, and we'll see where this goes. Um, if you have a fine orchard, this is, this is a practice that's been practiced for hundreds of years. It was, it was something that they did in the vineyards of the past, in the olive orchards of the past. If you had one tree, for example, that was very prolific fruitfully, but had a weak root system, and then you had another tree with a strong root system and maybe not very fruitful, a horticulturist or a husbandman would take one little branch, cut it off the, the one that's flourishing, and that little piece is called a scion. Okay, this maybe it's a little shorter than this. They would cut it about this long off a good tree. And then what the horticulturist will do, well, he'll put them in a little Ziploc bag and keep it in the crisper in his refrigerator until the time is right. Then he goes to the woods and he found, finds a tree of good rootstock. And then he takes uh, a rootstock is chosen. It's not a gentle process because the rootstock has to be cut and allowed to bleed. Now, while I'm saying these things, I want you to think about the scriptures that this makes you think of, okay? First, it has to be cut, and it has to bleed. You see, the life flow in a vine or in a tree is the sap running in the spring when the buds are about to burst is so powerful that if it, if it isn't allowed to bleed a little bit, it, it could push the little uh, grafted branch right off. So it's allowed to bleed. Who bled for us? Who was cut and bruised? for us. Because the vine is in coming out of dormancy, the sap is running and will bleed when cut. This creates an internal pressure, so the pressure can be great enough to push the newly grafted scion right off the branch. You see, this is where we were. We once belonged on Satan's tree our father, the devil. But then our husbandman found us, and he removed us and transplanted us. The injured tissue, okay, then also, what the, the tree surgeon will do, well, he will cut one side of the bark, turn it over, cut the other side of the bark, so that underneath the bark is a layer called the cambium. That's where all the cells are. That's where all the growth comes from, is in the cambium. That's like the, the spirit of the tree. And then he cuts the tree. He puts his knife against the tree, pierces the bark, and pulls it away so that the cambium of the rootstock is, is exposed. 
Now hang with me, it sounds like biology or science, but you'll get my point in a minute, okay? So hang with me. The husbandmen, the wood, the uh, nurserymen will put this little stick, cambium to cambium, into the rootstock. So it looks like this. Okay, this is a drawing I did. So the rootstock is very carefully tapped into place so that it's spirit to spirit, or I mean cambium to cambium, okay? And because this is almost like surgery, the two will heal together. And then, listen to this. The injured tissue heals to the injured tissue of the other. And the healing only takes place when the scion is in a permanent contact with the tree. Then it is sealed. That's what it's called. First of all, the whole grafting process, this whole grafting process is called a grafting union. Who are we in union with? Christ Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I mean, that this little, how foolish for us to expect apples to grow on this branch or grapes, or flowers, or leaves. It's detached. It can't. It's been severed. It's worthless. And that's the way, that's the way I was as a go-go dancer, confused and depressed and struggling. I couldn't fix myself. But the husbandman found me. And he transplanted me through the vehicle of faith in believing him. He transformed me. Okay. So if, if this is what is what the next step is that the husbandman will take wax or glue or something like that and we'll seal that branch into the rootstock. We are sealed by, you, you're saying it right. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. God takes us out, brings us in, Spirit to spirit, we are healed together with Christ. We engrafted union. God seals us into place so we don't come detached. And then we are wrapped. This process is called, when the scion is put into the rootstock, this process is called being seated. Where do you sit? Where is your seat? Somebody tell me. Where, 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 where? This is so important. Where are you seated? We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So what happens? This worthless little stick that could do nothing on its own has been found by the husbandman. Has been found by the husbandman. And now we are grafted in to the tree of life. We're grafted into Jesus Christ. Where are you seated? I am seated in Christ. And now is that. What's holding up the branch? Come on, speak. Is the branch holding the tree? The tree is holding the branch. This is really important to get a hold of. Because we think we have to hold on to Christ. And if we don't feel like he's near, he's not near. And we got to hold on. And instead of just abiding in, in him, we're doing one of these. <laughs> Trying to hold on. These, this, this, is, this is not... This is not, uh, we're not, this is an unawareness of our righteousness in him. We're trying to climb up into God. We're trying to be good. We're trying to measure up and measure up more abundantly. But he didn't come that we might measure up and measure up more abundantly. That's what that looks like. He has come that we might have life. The life is a gift. And it comes through believing in the one who is giving it. Believe and graft it in. Now watch this. I hope you can see it. Because you know how Psalm 1, if you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 1. You know, this generation of everything technical, you lose something when you don't get to know a book. A book where you can feel the pages. You can feel it. There's something so impersonable about the Bible on, on a phone. Now, I use it occasionally, and I use it on my computer. But there's something so precious, and it's part of the legacy that we leave our kids. This was Grandma's Bible. Look at it. You know? It, it, I just encourage you to get to know a book. It says, Psalm 1, blessed is the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, she doesn't walk in the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers. But her delight is in the law of the, of the Lord, in his word, not just in his written word, but in his speaking word. 
It's the logos. It's when he speaks to your heart. You know, it, it, one of the things that the Lord said is, you know, it's good that I'm going to be going away, but don't worry, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Talk to him constantly. None of this go to God in prayer, come from God in prayer. That's all well and good. <clears throat> but he lives inside of you. He's, you are together all day long. You can talk to him while you're doing the dishes. Talk to him while you're changing messy pants or driving in, in, in traffic. Because he's here. He's with you. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is with you. You can say, I love you. I'm glad we're together. Help me do this. I don't understand this, God. Constant dialogue with the creator of the heaven and earth. This is part of the gift that he has given us, is fellowship with the one who is Jesus. He's the spirit of Jesus. It's been one of the richest things that says what the Lord's having me concentrate on this year in my life, constant communication with the Holy Spirit. We're talking all the time. And sometimes a day will go by and I'm distracted by this and that and everything else. And I'll realize, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't bring you into any of that. I didn't talk to you about it and ask your wisdom for this and that. I didn't ask you. And, and I entertained thoughts that weren't pleasing to you because they're contrary to where I sit. I feel so far from you, Lord. Why? Then you need to get saved. You need to get crafted because then you are with me whether you feel like it or not, it's truth. After I lost my husband, I had some serious times of depression. I missed him so much, I can't, I can't describe it. And the Lord, sometimes I'd be taking a shower or something, I, I just put my head against the wall and just start to sob. I didn't want to be where I was. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. And I thought I got it in my head. Well, if I just do all the right things, maybe he'll bring him back. Now, that obviously was a subconscious thought. But don't we do the same thing? If only I'm a good girl, if only I do all these performance things perfectly, then God will bless me. That's not the gospel. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it's not by doing works of righteousness. It's by holding on with tenacity to what he did for me. He brought me out. He brought me out. He took me in. And he said to, to when Jacob was talking to his elders, he's, he was saying that 
God brought them into a land they did not sow. They're eating what they did not plant. They're enjoying what he gave them. And we take credit for, you know, it's like, I don't know how to describe it to you because it's so, it's more of a big thing in me than I can describe. It's not about you. God wants you to feel good and everything, but more than anything, he wants you to believe him. That's what keeps us abiding. And I'd sit on the porch. I, 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 I'm sorry I got distracted there by the emotion of talking about missing Bill. But he, I would cry in the shower, and the Lord would whisper to me. And he would say, tell me what you know to be true. My heart was lying to me. My emotions were lying to me. My circumstances were lying to me. Because the truth is, I was exactly where he wanted me to, me to be or I'd be someplace else. The truth is, he would not leave me or forsake me. The truth is that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the more you understand this, the more you can understand that. Nothing. That's why that branch can say, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. For I am grafted in. No, I didn't do it. No, my the gardener found me. I was just this old stick, couldn't produce anything on myself. And he grafted me in. And now look at me now. All the life flow of Jesus, all the, the water of life, all the nutrients, all the oxygen, all the everything runs up the cambium of the spirit and into that branch. And that's why, <laughs> that's why that little branch can say boldly, Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not, and he can also say, I can do all things through Christ who, because Christ strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because I never skip church and I always read my Bible and I even tithe and I never say a bad word and because I'm a good, good girl. I mean, that's good. I mean, we all want that. But no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because the life flow of God, his blood, his DNA, his character, his hope, his, and all his promises are mine now. Me and all the branches me and all the branches. It's not a solitary thing. 
This has changed my life. And I've walked with the Lord for 50 years. Yes, I am not 30. <laughs> because it's hard to grasp until I started to study trees, until I saw the visual, it, it, it was just hard to grasp. Now, I didn't finish reading Psalm 1. See, I go all over the place. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do anything. You have to sit in a chair in the corner and meditate on the scriptures all the time. But you get, you get to think about the truth 24-7. It isn't a have to. It's a privilege because his word is life and health and healing and wholeness and salvation. It is alive. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's the tree. God said it. There are 300 references to trees in the Bible. And outside of God himself and man, it is the most mentioned living thing. You'll be like a tree. He'll plant by streams of water. Streams of water. That, that painting I did is called Someone, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Why? Because it's such an awesome little tree. My leaf will not wither, not because I'm so good, but because God's so good. See how the change in the focus? There you go. Perfect example. We get our eyes on ourselves and think that our potential is determined by us. If that's the case, you got to get a handle on this. Don't be this. Just nestle, nestles in the branches of your papa. Live through me. One of the times I was sitting in the living room and I'm just saying, Lord, I, I can't see your face. I'm just so down and so broken. I can't see your face. And I, I don't know how to describe what that means, but it's somewhat like what I was saying earlier about feeling his presence. Now, there are those times when he lets you feel his presence, and it's wonderful. It's a gift. Thank you. But his, the reality of your faith and who the one that you put your hope in is not determined by events like that. And I said, I can't see your face, Papa. And suddenly, I was in a cartoon. Don't you love when that happens? My life is a cartoon. Let me tell you, my life is a cartoon. And I saw a picture of a big, fat chicken. Never mind the fat part. And 
one little wing was like this, and the other one was out, and there was a little lump under the wing, and these little chicky feet sticking out of the bottom. And this little caption came out of the chicken, says, I can't see my mother's face. It's dark, and I feel restricted. And the caption on the picture is, when you can't see your father's face, listen for his heartbeat. Because he was right under there. And that's what he showed me. I may feel broken. I may feel depressed. I may hate my life right now or whatever. The, but when you go to God, he tucks you right under his wing. It's a happy thing. You see, these little ash borers, they don't have to be big things. They can be little things. Like some of the things I've mentioned tonight, today. What about the little ash bore of self-loathing? The church, women, this is a big stronghold. Self-loathing. I'm fat. My legs are short. My legs are too long. My hair is too thin. My hair is too thick. My hair is straight. I want curly hair. My hair is curly. I want straight hair. I wish I had her gifts. Remember when, I think it was Peter, they came up to Jesus and pointed to John and said, you know, how? what about him, God? And and uh, how come he's doing special things or whatever? And Jesus looked at him and said, don't worry about him. You follow me. I always hated my nose. I have a lump in my nose. And when I was really thin, I kind of looked a little bit like Barbara Streisand with a, my nose. <laughs> until I realized the shape of my nose, including the shape of my frame, helps to determine the quality of my singing voice. Believe me, there was one area in my life when if it, was a, it was a good day if I felt thin, and it was a bad day if I felt fat. Have you ever eaten anything and then you get depressed because you did? You know, I mean, we're all, we're, we can admit it. We all do those kind of things. Those are ash bores. That's what you need to do. Pick out that little ash bore, drop it down. Like this. I'm God's property. That's taking your thoughts captive, by the way. There's another in uh, Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Oh, that's a lovely, but what does it mean? If you don't know how a palm tree flourishes, it won't, it won't mean much. That's why study is so good. So I studied the palm tree, and you know what? They're so interesting about the palm tree. This is Psalm 92 and uh, verse 12. The palm tree is flexible. 
most trees are alive around, our, around the outside where the cambium is. But the palm tree is different. The palm tree can flourish because it is a, I think it's called a manicot, and it is able, it's because it has a living center. Therefore, it can flexible. It can bend in the wind and come right back up. We'll flourish when we have a living center. See how that scripture comes alive when you understand? Then it says, and we will grow like the Lebanon cedar. Oh, that's a nice thought. I collect pine cones. No, you got to know what is so interesting about the Lebanon cedar. The Lebanon cedar grows on a mountainside where the winds are harsh. Their roots go 30 feet down for every 10 feet up. That's how you grow and survive the winds of life, the changes in our culture, what's happening in our nation, the unrest, the uncertainties. That's how you manage it. You have to be in the word because it grows your roots. Every time you read the word and you say yes to it, you meditate, you chew on it, you talk about it, you think about it, you're developing your roots. And how wonderful. And it says here, planted in the house of the Lord, we need to be in fellowship. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay, they will be fat and flourishing. Now, wait a minute. God, the fact that I'm fluffy, does that mean I'm flourishing? No. What is this about the fat thing, an old thing? I don't want to think about that. I <laughs> but I'm being forced to. I, jo I joined uh, the Y, OK? As soon as I got old enough to get a $25 a year membership, I joined. OK? I'm going to be 72, 73 this August. So I'm 72 and a half. 72. Oh, I have to get a, I have to have a stool to get in my bed because my bed is high and I can't just jump on like I used to. <laughs> now I'll pull my back out. So anyway, I joined the Y and I walked in. I'm coming to the understanding that I'm, I don't like the term senior citizen. I don't like the term old. So anyway, I still have to face the fact that I'm little more limited physically than I used to be. So I joined the Hawaii. First thing he says is, the guy has to test me for flexibility. So he says, okay, get down on the floor. So I got down. I was a little worried about how to get back up, but <laughs> I'm down on the floor and he says, okay, I want you to bend over and touch, touch past your toes. I said, you mean as close to my toes as possible? 
He said, no, try to go past your toes. You sure you don't mean past my knees? He said, no, past your toes. And I don't know, the way he treated me, I, I didn't like it, so I got my membership revoked. <laughs> the next month, I joined again. And <laughs> this time, I joined a, a, a swimming class. I had to go buy a bathing suit. That was a depressing day. Anyway, I joined a bathing suit. I got a bathing suit. I went for the same size I had used the last time I bought a bathing suit, about 30 years ago. So I get the same size and I'm in the dressing room and I get it to here. And I think, I think I'm stuck. And it's no wonder I didn't fall out in, out of the dressing room because it was just like, this dumb thing is mismarked. This isn't, this is depressing. Well, so I went up a size, but I was still, it was more like, and I had to go up. Well, anyway. <laughs> So we go out into the class, and oh my gosh, I look at everybody and I say, wait a minute, these are old people. I don't belong here. So I said, well, I'll be nice, and I'll join them. And so I did their, you know, the, this kind of stuff in the pool. You know, I had plans to do dive off the board and all this kind of stuff, but I haven't done that in 40 years, so I don't know what I was thinking, but so I got a little winded doing the little things that all the old people did, you know, and the other walkers were lined up outside the thing. I'm thinking, oh, I don't belong in this class. So I'm in the dressing room and I'm getting dressed and I look over and there's a woman over there that looked very familiar to me vaguely familiar. I didn't have my glasses on, so I really didn't want to stare. And I noticed the, the poor thing was much older than me, and she was having trouble getting her pants on over her shoes. And then she moved, and I moved, and I moved, and she moved. And that's when I realized they had mirrors in the dressing room. I said, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not so sure this place is for me. <laughs> but I stayed. I stayed. Speaking of ash bores, getting into the little cracks and stuff, a friend of mine in church said, uh, Marge, I'm, I'm going to be moving. She was going to the mission field, and she said, I got so much stuff, and my son has been keeping his cats up on the second floor, and I am very allergic to cats. Would you mind, they're now gone, would you mind coming and vacuuming the upstairs for me? I said, I can do that, sure, I'll be glad to. So she gave me her address, and I GPSed it. I felt so incredible that when I finally figured out how to use MapQuest or Google, I thought, this is awesome, I feel secure. She goes, turn left. And th I, th I think it's a wonderful invention. Anyway, so I 
show up in her driveway and I get a text from her and she says, the back door's open, come on in. So I said, okay. So I went to the back of the house and, and there, sure enough, the door was open and there were her dogs and they were so happy to see me, you know, little girl dogs. They, the first thing they do after they wiggle and everything and lick you, they piddle on the floor. So the little doggies wagging and piddling, and I think, oh, doggone it, her house looks so neat. So I said, I'll clean it up before I go join her upstairs. So I rooted around in the cupboards and looked for the paper towel, and I got it out, and I cleaned it all up, and they were still doing it over here, so I cleaned that all up. Then I thought, man, I, I better use the restroom before I get all the way upstairs, and then I won't be, I'll have to come all the way down again. So I look, where is her restroom? So I wander around the house, and I finally found the restroom, and when I'm all done, I'm coming out, and I pass by the kitchen, and there's this man coming in the bathroom. And I said, hi, are you here to help? And he didn't say a word. He just looked at me like my, and came closer. And I said, I thought maybe the guy's deaf. So many men are. So I said, uh, hi, are you here to help? Where's Ellie? He didn't say anything. He just kept coming closer to me. I began to feel a bit clammy. I did the unthinkable. I began to sweat. And I could feel the beads of persuasion forming on the back of my neck. And I could tell my face was red. And I said it again, figuring he didn't hear me. I said, where's, where's Ellie? And he said, what did he say? Ellie doesn't live here. <laughs> Suddenly I re remembered that there was a double wide driveway and she was on the other side. He didn't exonerate me, he didn't laugh, he didn't think it was funny. He didn't do anything but stare at me. And I said, oh, um, well, by the way, your dogs were happy to see me, and I'm, oh, I'm sorry I went through your cupboards to find a paper towel, but I cleaned up, and I'm so sorry. I used your bathroom. I, I hope that's okay. He didn't say a thing. He didn't smile. He didn't comment. Nothing. I said, boy, you have a nice house here. It's really nice. I think I'll go now. And I, it could have ended really badly. Because the truth of the matter is, it's a funny story to tell, but the truth of the matter is, I didn't belong there. And I imagine in the future, he'll lock his doors. <laughs> and what is the point of all that? There are things, perhaps, in your life that don't belong in your house. Think about it. There may be some things that don't belong in your house. And if you look at them from the angle of the tree, you could say, hmm, there's some ash borers in my house. 
There are an awful lot of people in the church today that appear to be very strong, that they're really hollow, or they have no root system. But we'll find out. When Jesus had, and I'm going to close with this in a minute. When Jesus had just three days to live before he was going to the cross, he was in the upper room. And I would imagine that if you knew that you had but a few days left, before you were going to die, that you would craft a very important message to leave with your family, you know? Bill and I, Bill knew he was dying. And when he was in hospice in my living room, there were things we talked about that we probably wouldn't have if we didn't know that he was leaving. And what did Jesus choose to tell his disciples when he knew he would be leaving? Very important message. And the essence of everything that I've been talking about today. He said in the 15th chapter, first of all, after he tells them that he's leaving, he says, let not your heart be troubled, believe in me. It's the first time that's mentioned there. Later on, when Jesus said, I, you have been with me so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Even Jesus didn't take any credit for what he could do. It was the Father working in him. Most And then verse 11, it says, Believe me, that's the third time, that I am in the Father and the Father is me, or else believe me for the things that you have seen me do, for the miracles I have done. It's not that the miracles are enough. He wants us to believe in him. So important. And that's where the enemy will attack you in the area of your belief. And he'll say, oh, you know, oh, that's not true. That's not true. God has not said. And you, you have to believe him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes me the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father, 
And whatever you ask my Father in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you. The Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to jump ahead to the 15th verse, 15th chapter. This is what he was trying to remind the Holy Spirit. It's in every story of the Old Testament. Who are you going to believe? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't turn to the, the idols of your father. Don't turn to the idols of the world. Don't rely on your own independence and your own wisdom and what the world says is good. You haven't been called to a smorgasbord where you can pick what you want to believe. You've been called to a living hope and everything he says we need to believe. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruits, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, remember, unless it abides in the vine. No more can you unless you abide in me. Without me, you could, I've jumped. I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Now, that at first, when I read that, I thought, well, that's kind of mean. That's kind of a heavy thing to say. No, it's the fact. If you don't abide, what's going to happen to that little stick? It's going to wither and dry. And what do you do with withered, dry sticks? You throw them in the fire. He's just trying to say, this is the most important thing that I can tell you before I leave you. I mean, the good news is the Holy Spirit. But it's more than that. Abide. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I have chosen you when you were a little stick in the ground or grafted into the ways of the world or the father or your devil. I found you. I have chosen you and appointed you 
that you would go and bear much, much fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The only way this little branch is going to bear fruit is if it abides in the vine. That's the only way, and it's getting, it's getting unsteckied. That's the truth. Does that excite you a little bit? Do you see, does this make it clearer to you? And I, sometimes I think, you know, like, coming, going to be coming down here, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? Gosh, what am I going to say? What do you want me to say? You know, and, and I'm getting all churny about it because your flesh just wants you to be popular, okay? But God, what do you want me to say? And he would just bring back this little picture of me, and he'd just, just say, hugging in the branches, honey. Just hugging the branches. Cambium to cambium, spirit to spirit. And all that is in me will come up the roots, and it will out, it will flow. I think I'm done. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I, I just, I can't emphasize how this has, how getting a handle on this will change your life. Remember, it's all about focus. And that's one of the ways in which the enemy is really working in this day, is to get our focus on other things. I found sometimes it's really hard to pray. I wonder why. Because the scripture says if you ask anything, it, that the Father might be glorified. So there's prayer involved there. This is all for the glory of God. All of this is for the glory of God. When it's a custom in, in Jewish home when they have a meal, they don't bless God for the food. They bless God. Because then it won't matter what's on your plate. Because he's always worthy of, your, of, of blessing. So it doesn't matter what's on your plate. Bless God. As soon as you start evaluating what's on your plate, you're going to get disappointed. And you're going to get confused. And if the Holy Spirit wants you to look at something on the inside of you, he will highlight it. He will heal it. But don't go digging. 
And will you look what's on your plate? And if you come up looking like this, you've lost your focus. When you start, one of the ways in which we guard our mind is to be aware of what's passing through your mind. If what's, what you're concentrating on are the cares of this world, perhaps it would help you in the cares of this world to focus on God's potential where you live instead of your own. I'm still learning all this stuff, and there are days when I don't remember anything that I just said to you. And I get caught up in all the whirling and the whirly gigs of my mind, and I worry about, oh my gosh, did you see the news? And oh my Lord, look at what, you know, look what Cuomo did now, or look at this, or look at, can you believe how bad it's getting? Jesus said, when he talked about the end times, he said, see, when you see all these things, see that you be not afraid. See that you be not troubled. Before the foundation of the world, remember God is not bound by time. Before the foundation of the world, he knew all about it. And he has the answer. And he sent the cure. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus. I get so happy, God, when I start talking about this. I can hardly stand it. Any way in which what I said was Fill in the blanks of anything I missed, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in the hearts of the women, Lord. I pray, Father, that they will remember what you want them to remember and forget anything else. That, Father, out of this plethora of words, you would, you would seal in their hearts the reality of them being grafted in once you have accepted Jesus Christ and the invitation to be a part of his life, this is your inheritance. And if there's any question whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if your name truly is written and if you have any doubt that you are born again, let's seal that today. And you can talk to me later. <laughs>